Hello, industrial marketers from Gorilla76, the industrial marketing agency. This is the Manufacturing Marketer Podcast, a show dedicated to all the small marketing teams working at companies that make stuff. I'm your host, Brendan Forrest. And last week on Industrial Marketing Live, we discussed how marketers in B2B manufacturing were using AI. Lots of talk about using AI as a brainstorming partner, copywriting first draft health, and podcast producer. Also, we talked about how some folks had some hesitations and resistance to AI. On today's show, I want to step back a little bit and talk about AI at a more strategic level before getting back into the weeds on use cases. So to help me with this conversation, I have some friends with. First, we have Joe Sullivan, owner of Gorilla76 and host of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. And my gorilla buddy and senior writer at Gorilla76, Rose Hansen. Thanks for joining me, you two. Uh, appreciate you being here and looking forward to having this conversation with you. Good to be here. Thanks, Brandon. All right. So first question here, I kind of want to just talk like where you guys see the role of AI in, you know, in marketing, both in like strategy and implementation, both in, through content. So how do you see AI kind of reshaping the landscape of B2B manufacturing marketing strategies? Well, I'll, I'll kind of jump in at a real high up level. Um, I think it's really hard to say. Uh, and I'm first of all, we'll preface this with I am no expert in any of this stuff. Probably not too many people are at this point, right? But um have been have been dabbling, have been just trying to consume as much information about marketing AI as I can right now. So we can kind of make strategic decisions as a company about, you know, what what we need to do for ourselves and for our clients as an agency. Um, but I think, you know, I think it's gonna affect a lot of places in marketing. And I, I think that um, the, the thing that's I'm trying to resist right now is just trying to make use of everything out there. Like this, there's, there's so much and yeah, I've been dabbling in tools and everything, but I'm trying not to be too quick to share, Hey team, look at this thing I've been using or, you know, have you tried using this thing yet for this purpose or this purpose or this purpose? Um, because I think there's, it's really easy right now to get distracted by all this shiny objects because there are so many shiny objects. So I think, you know, what you need to be doing right now is sort of looking at, you know, AI holistically across marketing and, and just learning about the ways it's going to impact things like strategy, things like writing, things like advertising, as opposed to trying to deploy every shiny new object or tool that you get your hands on, because it's going to keep changing so fast. And there's so many things. It's just going to become overwhelming really quickly. Joe, have you heard any talk about AI with, you know, manufacturing executives, like through your podcast or through other channels where you're talking to company leadership uh, about marketing? Has AI been a part of any of those conversations? Well, most of my conversations on my podcast, the manufacturing executive are focused on, you know, manufacturing topics, um, which, you know, from leading manufacturing organizations to, um, you know, manufacturing technology and, um, and so I think a lot of it's interesting how much AI is coming up in these conversations, but not so much in the marketing context, context as much as in, you know, design engineering and um, uh, you know, running, uh, you know, tools on manufacturing production lines and things. So it's the, the manufacturing sector is thinking about all this stuff already, but um, probably not so much in terms of how it affects marketing, because I think a lot of 
manufacturing organizations, as all of us probably know, tend to be a little bit behind the curve in terms of marketing technology. Um, so, yeah. Rose, what about from your perspective, you know, long-form writer, how do you see AI reshaping this landscape of B2B marketing? Gosh, I mean, I guess the to, to echo Joe, I don't know. I, I don't know how it's going to reshape it. I think it's exciting. Um, it seems like when chat GPT first hit the like mass market, I don't know what, six months ago, a year ago, um, there were a lot of people who were really, really, really afraid it was going to put long form writers out of a job. And to be frank, I think that for some long form writers, that is probably true. <laughs> I think if yeah. you are not writing highly specified, tailored content, uh, you're probably in trouble and it's time to, to learn how to use this technology, um, and figure out what you can do with it. Uh, on my day to day, it, it's become a tool that I regularly use in my toolbox. Um, I use it for brainstorming. I use it as a sounding board instead of, um, you know, bothering my buddies at work when I'm trying to flesh out like some incredibly ambiguous idea. Um, Sometimes I'll take vague client feedback and put it into ChatGPT and ask it, what are they saying here? Uh, what is the main takeaway? Or I'll say, there's something wrong with this sentence. I don't know what it is. What's wrong with this sentence? And they'll say, um, the language is too jargon specific. <clears throat> it's not uh, conversational enough. And there, there are just all kinds of ways to take it. The, the big takeaway I've learned as far as using ChatGPT, which is the only AI I'm really dependent on right now, is um, you have to know how to use it. It's not just like this magic tool that's going to generate perfect content for you. Um, that's why they make chat GPT engineers, right? Who are getting paid, I think, six figures to learn how to ask it questions and train it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Rose, one one thing uh, you said there that I, I think is is a key point. I can't remember where I heard this. I think it might have been Paul Retzer from the Marketing AI Institute, or maybe he heard, took, took it for someone else. But it was, you know, this idea that AI is not going to put marketers out of jobs in the years ahead. It's going to put marketers out of job the marketers who don't know how to use AI out of jobs. And so I think that's like the that's the point here is like I think it's it's the job of everybody in a marketing role now to figure out how how these tools are going to impact marketing, impact your job, impact the things your company needs from you, um, and understand how to use some of the tools around that as opposed to resisting and just pretending this isn't happening because it's happening, right? Like we got to just embrace it, learn what you can, and figure out how can you enhance the way you do your own work through some of these tools so that somebody else doesn't come in who has done that and figure out how to do your job better than you can. So yeah. I, I thought that was just worth surfacing. Absolutely. I think like a more, you know, cynical take on that would be you better use it before it uses you because chat GPT is also doing, or not, not just chat GPT, open AI is doing this like pretty creepy, unnerving, questionable ethical practice thing where they're just eating everything everyone on the planet has ever produced and using it to make its machine better. <laughs> and there are a lot of people that understandably have a problem with that. But for me as a marketer, without a whole lot to lose, you know, I don't have a big canon of books that I'm trying to defend um, or whatever. Yeah, that, that's a whole other topic. But uh, 
uh, you know, I, I want to use it. I would like to use this tool as something to empower me in my work, to make the work better and faster and more efficient. So you both have mentioned uh, resistance to AI here, like in the last 45 seconds. So how would you address that? Like how should a company address that? Or how should a marketing department address that resistance to AI within their teams? Do you mean within our own team or among a competitor? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'd say like within your own organization, right? Like there's people here at Gorilla that are a little more resistant to it than I think you and me are and Joe are um, to AI. Uh, and I like I, I think I've seen it uh, in the marketplace, you know, in the IML community and outside of that where some marketers are like, I don't know about this. They're a little hesitant to, about it. So like, what would you say to that? I mean... I don't say a whole lot. Well, that's not true. I say a lot, actually. We talk about AI like every day in content because there are people on in my department who are skeptical of it. Um, and I'm just kind of an, is the word evan, evangelist? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty pro AI preacher on it. So I just like sharing and talking about the ways that I found it useful. And, and when I bump up against applications that make me nervous, like uh, this has nothing to do with marketing, but like what Clearview AI is doing, which is the AI company that has scanned everyone's face on the planet or wants to, um, I mean, I'll share that too. So I, I think just mm-hmm. knowledge, 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 you just have to educate yourself and decide what to do without becoming a conspiracy theorist or something. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with Rose. I kind of said it earlier. I think the thing everybody needs to do right now is anybody who's resistant, just let's stop pretending that this isn't happening. Um, you know, every AI tool out there, like you could be super skeptical of it because you've played with something or you, you know, you don't believe it could do this job better than a human or something. Well, most of these tools have been accessible to us now for for like less than a year some of them for a few months like this is the infancy of marketing ai right now um this is this is the worst those tools will ever be you know like they they will continue to get better and have been getting better at like an exponential rate i can't even imagine three years from now what things are going to be available to us and how much better these tools are going to be at doing those jobs so um, you know, you could make lots of comparisons to any other innovation that's hit the world over the, the you know the course of history. Probably horses to cars is a good one, right? Or you know, from before computers were in our homes to after, like there's just things that you can't really even imagine. Um, and so I think learning what you can, like simply. I've I've been trying to like I've been taking a course on marketing AI from the Marketing AI Institute that's been really great. It's called I think it's called piloting marketing AI or something like that. And and I'm just you know 30 minutes of of learning um, every few days is making me so much smarter about this. And doesn't mean I'm going to go deploy all these things. It just means I'm going to have a better understanding about what's possible so that I can stay ahead of the curve from. Um, you know, the standpoint of, of just understanding the landscape. That's amazing, Joe. I can't believe that the that certain sectors of our market are so on top of it that people have already come up with lesson plans for learning how to use it and apply it in specific industries. That is crazy. It's it's wild. It's I mean, so I mentioned the Marketing AI Institute. I would go check that out. Everybody listening should go check that out. Um, Paul Retzer, I might be butchering his last name. 
So I apologize to him if I am, but he, you know, he he founded the Marketing AI Institute like four or five years ago. I mean, he's been he he was an, an agency owner, and he was his agency was the first ever HubSpot partner. Like this is a guy who's been ahead of the curve on everything um, for a couple decades in marketing. But I mean, he saw the opportunity here and what's what's happening, you know, five years ago, and left his sold his agency, left his job, and started building this thing full time. Um, but there, I, I mean, yeah, it's, there, there are some really great resources out there already that, um, can help you kind of get up to speed. So you don't feel like you're just out there on your own, like hacking your way through beta tests of tools and free trials of stuff, which I've got probably five different things running right now myself. Right. But, um, where else? Where else have you been going to? Like, is it just that podcast, or you've been getting resources from or education from other resources? I've been starting there and kind of like looking at what they recommend too. You know, like they'll they'll talk about a tool. I'll go take a look at the tool or a resource or an article they read in the Atlantic about what Elon Musk is talking about, and uh, you know, so I'm kind of like probably using that as a starting place just because it's a source I trust and they've got a lot of great content that's uh makes me feel like I'm looking at the right things yeah I've found some success like just searching for like a marketing AI on TikTok uh some good videos come up for that um and then I follow a newsletter called decode uh that kind of gives a rundown of like AI news and then some new tools that are coming out for you to check out so that one's been interesting uh, for me to get just a quick hit and they come out every single day with a with a newsletter with a couple paragraphs on news and ai uh so that one's been really good for me i'll have to check out that podcast i think there's another one that was i think someone was saying it was called marketing ai explained was a po- another podcast mm-hmm. uh, so yeah it's cr- but you're right rose it's crazy that there's so many resources out there now where people are creating all this regular long-form content about ai uh, and i think that kind of just speaks to how f- quickly some of the stuff is moving where you can talk about this stuff you know one, at least once a week ongoing. It's this crazy. Yeah. There's an incredible amount of fluency. It amazes me when I talk to people who don't uh, work in marketing. I mean, you say AI and almost everyone knows what you're talking about. You don't even have to explain it anymore. It is just ubiquitous, which is just incredible. One thing that we talked about in our pre-call was some of the resistance out there was based on, you know, proprietary data. Uh, So, you know, Companies got stores of data, you know, their processes, their technical data, IP, all this kind of stuff that they don't want to get onto the into the net. And so that makes people a little worried about connecting anything or, you know, putting anything into chat GPT and having it be available as, you know, information for anybody else that's looking at prompts in similar areas. So what, how do you guys think about that and like data protection within artificial intelligence and using AI while also still maintaining good data security? And probably disclaimer here, we are also not experts on this, just, you know, us talking about this and what we've seen out there. So don't take any of this as legal advice or <laughs> security advice. But, uh, you know, just want to give marketers some things to think about as, uh, you know, as you're starting to implement some of these tools into your workflow. It's so it's really hard. I mean, from a content perspective, my assumption is that of anyone at the agency, we are the department that gets the most like top secret information. And it's our job to decide how to distill that, what to release, what not to release, um, to actually ask at the right points whether something can be shared publicly or not, whether that's you know how a process works, what something is made out of, um, who their partners are, who their competitors are, et cetera. 
And I just think a pretty good rule of thumb is not to feed any of those specifics into AI, specifically because um, to the best of my knowledge, all of the AI technology out there that is predictive word text is remembering everything you put into it. Mm. So I just don't know what's going to happen to that information. On the one hand, maybe it's wonderful. Maybe it means that the more content we feed it from Gorilla 76, the more of an authority AI considers Gorilla 76 to be. So it'll start citing us more and more. I mean, that's one possibility. But because AI doesn't really tell us how it works, <laughs> we don't source know. Things, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, yeah. it's tough. I, I I don't know how to treat this yet, but I think a general rule of thumb, just maybe, you know, if it's not some, if, if the information is not something you would publicly publish in, yeah, blog content or in a, on a podcast episode or something, probably don't feed it into an AI machine either, because um, who knows where it goes from there? I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not like we would need to give it. We as marketers would ever need to give them engineering diagrams because that's not something we would ever necessarily need to pass on down to the audience. So I think as long as we can deem it audience friendly, I feel comfortable feeding it into AI because it's going to get out there anyway. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I just kind of think like you have to use some level of critical thinking as you're building out these prompts, right? And redact the things. Don't put it in the prompt if you don't want it to know about it. Right. And then, you know, or rewrite it in a way where there's no proprietary information in there uh, so that it can't use it and just be comfortable in that world. I think we, we, we all kind of work in this like, you know, sensitive information world and you just have to be careful with it. And ChatGPT is no different. Mm -hmm. Okay, Joe, one thing I want to talk to you about next is like, how, how should a company look at like using AI from an organizational level and like putting some controls on there? So I know like you're starting to think about this, you know, at, you know, owner of Grill76, like how are you thinking about the use of AI and how you like, are you thinking about implementing it in the team and, you know, researching on the best ways that we can use it to better our processes, you know, increase profitability, you know, all that kind of stuff. So like, how, what is your thought process as a business owner on implementing these tools into the team? Yeah. So we have, um, I think there are a lot of people, the three of us included on, on this podcast that have just been kind of looking at it, you know, for our own job roles and playing with things. Um, but we also have kind of formally just we're just sort of doing it now uh we're we're forming a an official committee inside of our company um that is going to be set to sort of explore how marketing ai is going to change marketing like that's that's essentially the goal is is to have some um formal dedicated group uh, with dedicated time to be on top of this um you know whether that means they're going to go through say one of the courses that i suggested from marketing ai institute or compile other resources um, but i think the objective is going to be to have an to, to be sort of consuming as much as as we can so that group can be responsible for educating our team about you know the most important things happening and to help our leadership team make decisions about what changes we want to make, what things we need to be looking out for. So I, I do think we're at a stage in time where most companies should probably have some kind of formalized mm -hmm. AI committee to um, 
so it's not just sort of haphazard miscellaneous people sharing random things they're finding, right? Right. You know, I find it hard to believe that a company would think, okay, we need to set up a designated AI committee. What do you think are the risks if a company doesn't do that and they do just allow their people to haphazardly like decide how to use these tools? Yeah, good question. Um there's so much out there. There's there's so many different things that like you know, everybody's going to be looking at it from a different perspective. Everybody's going to be playing with different tools. Everybody's going to have their own biases about what's important and what's not. Um, it, it may seem a little bit silly or premature right now to say we're going to have a formal committee, but I don't think anybody's going to be making that argument 12 months from now. That's that's what I suspect, because this is just going to be more and more in the news. You're going to see more crazy stuff happening that's finding its way into you know cnn and new york times headlines and like um and it's people are going to start taking it more and more seriously so uh it feels like the right time to get ahead of this and say we need a few people uh, inside of our organization who are going to proactively start information gathering and sifting through this and uh bringing the headlines back to the team and and making sure our leadership understands what's going on because i think the risks rose are you know you fall behind your, your competition you start to miss opportunities but um i think that's going to snowball really fast to the point where like there are going to be companies who are in trouble and i do think marketing agencies are right among those as i think about ourselves i think you know ma- manufacturing organizations it may be more inside their operations than inside of marketing where AI could change faster. Um, but it's, it just comes down to like the, the rate at which this technology is evolving is kind of mind blowing. I mean, nobody, nobody had heard of chat GPT a year ago, right? Like right. when was, when did that hit the market? Was it last? It was like March. I don't know. It was March. Was it, was it that oh, recently? I think it was December and then 3.5 came on. March. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when it like really started. Yeah. So, I mean, you just think of what's happened in that short period of time and now look ahead a year. Um, so I think there's a lot of risk there, honestly. I'm not sitting here trying to be like the, the guy who's trying to scare everybody and, uh, you know, but it's uh, when you really start looking at it, you realize like, wow, this is it's pretty nuts how fast this is moving. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think, Brendan, to go back to your your initial points about resistance, one of the things that I can see happening is that someone who's not very um, uh, experienced with using AI tools like ChatGPT, it's very easy to go in, ask it some silly, superficial question and get a mediocre answer and just go, this doesn't work. This is overhyped. I don't know why people think this is going to be a problem. This is never going to replace, you know, as a content writer, this is never going to replace someone with my skills and experience and whatever, all the stuff that we we t- say about ourselves. Um, the trick with using AI is learning how to use it. I mean, I think that is the learning curve for humans that that we have to get ahead of. Well, and that goes to every tool, at least in the marketer's toolbox, every tool, right? Like how we get so much pushback on, you know, social media marketing. Well, it's like, yeah, it hasn't worked for you in the past because you haven't done it right. Like you aren't, you don't have a playbook that you're following, um, you know, tracking marketing, uh, results in your CRM hasn't worked for you in the past because you don't do it right. And you track the wrong data, you know, like 
and I, there's probably, you know, on the manufacturing side, like, yeah, you probably didn't use that robot. Right. And so you think robots kind of suck because you didn't, you know, program it correctly to do the right task. So AI is the exact same thing. You didn't program the tool, right. To give you the right output and you put garbage in to your input. So you get garbage out. You know, it's the same thing for every other tool that we use. Like I can jump onto Photoshop and make something really stupid, but you know, we get Jenny or Randall on there and they're going to make something that's incredible uh, because they have training in the tool. Right. Or Joe, like me on you know, keynote. <laughs> <laughs> we do joke about that one when Brendan has to make a, uh, a visually appealing presentation for a client usually needs a little work, but that's okay. Brendan, <laughs> you do lots of other stuff really well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess that's the scary thing about AI is that it, in a way it's really humbling because it shows you where you fall short of your own, what you think mm-hmm. you're good at, especially when it comes to writing, you know, that's the, the primary application that I use it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know how to ask a good question, you're not going to get a good answer. <laughs> so. Well, it's like even like something as basic as like leadership, right? Like if you aren't a good manager and you don't manage your team well, you're not going to get good results out of your team. So it's all it's all the same stuff here. Um, okay, so Joe, on the pre-call, you also made a comment or a statement, you know, asking, you know, what if Henry Ford had just designed a better horse, mm. right? So can you kind of elaborate on? on that thinking and its relation to the adoption of AI and marketing. Yeah. I, I don't know whoever, you know, used that quote originally. It's one of those things you hear every once in a while about innovation. Right. But, um, you know, it's, it's just this idea of, you know, we, we can't just resist this because we make the assumption it couldn't possibly do a better job than a person could at fill in the blank task, or um, this is just a fad, or or something like that. Um, I think it it's just I was just sort of speaking to the idea of being open minded about this and educating yourself. Doesn't mean you have to make any decisions to deploy any new technology, uh, but if you just pretend it's not happening, you know, th- those are the people who are really going to get hurt by it. I think. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're kind of harbingers of doom talking about this. I mean, the really fun thing about AI too is what it can do for you when you are using it well. Um, yeah. Just past six months that I've been using it, it has made many aspects of my job um, easier for one thing, faster, and frankly, like a lot more enjoyable. I, I think it's really fun to go in and start playing around with chat GPT. I mean, you hear about these hilarious stories where people are like, um, you know, tell Hansel and Gretel and Shakespeare, like through a Shakespearean tone, you know, it can do that. It's wonderful. It's hilarious. But with client work, you can do it too. Um, I can feed it a sample of, of a client's preferred voice tone, just like little linguistic ticks that, um, all of us can recognize, but is, are difficult to emulate. And you can ask chat GPT to emulate it, um, mm-hmm. with a paragraph mm-hmm. that you're just having trouble with. Sometimes something as simple as an email, it can be really hard to nail the voice and you will waste hours on it when there's nothing wrong with the substance of the content. It's just like the little ticks and structures of the words that you choose. Um, and I don't think that any of us are worse off for it. It just makes that process faster. And I'm still able to deliver to the client exactly what they want. I don't see where the cheat is um, that makes a lot of people so uncomfortable with AI. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, I mean, one one application for me it, that I've been playing with a lot and it's already been very helpful is in preparation for my podcast interviews. Um you know, I, my, my show, the manufacturing executive is, you know, me interviewing 
manufacturing leaders, like industry 4.0 technology companies that are doing interesting things that frankly, I don't understand anything about like that's, uh, nor should I, right. I'm trying to figure out how to ask the right questions so they can share their story with my audience. My job's put, but you know, kind of put the spotlight on them and cue them up to talk about what's going to be interesting to manufacturing leaders. And, um, you know, I conduct, I always conduct pre-calls, 30 minute pre-calls to help flesh out um, a perspective from my interviewee and perhaps some talking points so that we can come back and record a week later or so. And one way I've been using AI is I'm just running like right now I'm running Otter, uh, which is one of these, you know, some of you listening probably use it or Fathom or Fireflies. There's a lot, you know, lots of tools now that um, are these sort of AI based meeting note takers, like it's pulling transcripts, it's organizing the conversation into bullet points. Um, and some of these tools, it's giving you dashboards, like with, you know, everything that happened in this conversation and to do's and next steps and things, there are a lot of applications for them, but I'm using those in those tools in my prep calls to help me formulate better questions coming out of it. And, you know, Otter, for example, has got a little Otter chat tool built into it where I can say, Hey, take this transcript and generate five to six, you know, interview questions out of this. And usually they're pretty decent, honestly. And, and, and I think the important note here is that I don't take those six questions and, and just pull them up on screen when I interview my guests the next week. I use it to help me formulate my questions. Like some of those, a few of those may be the foundation of something, but I'm going to modify it and I'm going to pull in this follow-up question um, other ones I'll scrap, but using that is a great way to get me started. It takes some of the heavy lift, like just the brain power out of like sifting through all these notes I just took or making, I don't even have to take as diligent of notes because I can sort of use the transcript and let the AI tool pull out bits and pieces of it. So it's helped me to, as, as not, you know, Rose, you're a journalist. You're like a super skilled professional journalist. I am not right. I'm, I'm like a marketing guy who is running a podcast and having to pose as a journalist. And so it helps me without these true skill sets to that. I practice. I don't practice these skill sets every day to, um, to, to do that more effectively. And then, you know, so I conduct my interview, we record the podcast. Well, now I can use AI tools to help me formulate the right highlight clips that I'm going to pull out of that podcast and use as LinkedIn content to promote the show. I can use it to help me write show notes for the, you know, the conversation. And, um, so I'm, I'm kind of just dabbling on all this stuff. And in some places I'm finding that I'm, it's saving me time In other places I'm finding that it's not necessarily saving me time, but it's helping me create a better product by combining my human skills with some AI generated, you know, organizational tools mm -hmm. that, um, so that those are like ways I'm using it. And of course, I'm a podcast host and maybe some of you listening are and most of you aren't, but you can think about probably in your own jobs, creating content, you know, running meetings, taking meeting notes, like whatever it is that your your role is, there are ways to cut out a lot of the grunt work to organize information that can be really helpful to you. Rose, what are your favorite applications that you've been using? I mean, I use one application and it's ChatGPT. <laughs> I how, use how it. Are you using it? Um, gosh, well, I'll use it for like tonal checks, like I was talking about. Um, my clients, I assume most of the people listening that are dealing, uh, you know, that are marketers, 
when you produce content, you understand that your content, depending on who you're writing for and uh, both the reader and um, the author, meaning your client, whether that's your company or somebody, you know, another, an actual client, um, everything has to fit a certain voice. You know, the way that, for example, the way that uh, Glossier talks about their makeup is completely different from the way um, Avon talks about their makeup. There's just a different voice, a different tone. And sometimes nailing those differences between two product categories can be really difficult. So if I have two clients that work in some sectors of construction, um, one of them is much more like brass tacks business and the other one wants to be more conversational and family oriented. And there are all kinds of little um, quirks that make their language like good brand language stand out. And it can be really hard to nail. I'm not great at it. Um, in, there are certain clients that I'm good at emulating because they just happen to mimic the way that I speak. But when it comes to like really friendly, folksy, um, approachable language, I am not good at that. I need help. I need someone to like to teach me how to be friendly sounding. And ChatGPT is extremely useful for that. Um, the other ways that it's useful is um, a huge part of my work is doing interviews with um, often subject matter experts who can be very long-winded and will bounce from idea to idea. And it can just be hard to follow the trajectory of what they're trying to say. <clears throat> In the moment, it can seem very compelling and interesting, but you don't realize until afterward that you haven't really gotten a clear and direct and useful answer. And so you know that somewhere within these 37 pages, there's really good substance for a long-form story but how do you get from that to the story? Um, in the past, it was a lot of work. Like I know um, certain people on the content team will go through and they'll highlight every single interesting section, which is a very admirable, diligent practice that I don't have the patience for. Um, and so what I've started doing is I'll feed it into sections of those interviews, you know, safe sections of the interviews into ChatGPT and just ask it, what are the three takeaways here? What are the key points? Yeah. Um, or I'll tell it this, you know, this dialogue is unorganized. Can you reorganize it in the way that you'd explain it to a high school freshman? Yeah. Um, do it. It is fantastic. Um, and I don't feel like any less of a creative or a writer or anything for it. I don't think it's harmed my writing, not wood. It'll be interesting to see if I devolve over the next few years. But so far, I don't think it's done that at all. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so on the strategic side, I've used it for, um, for helping me with targeting. You know, a lot of times like a company will say, oh, we want to target engineers for this thing, but it's like, oh man, that's not really enough information for me to go back into LinkedIn and start doing, you know, targeting based on, you know, job titles or skill sets. So I'll help, I'll use the tool to help me like, okay, I have a client that wants to sell this thing. Uh, who at this type of company would be the ones that would be involved in the buying committee for this? And it'll spit out a bunch of job titles. And then I'll be able to ask it like, what types of skill sets would these types of people have? And so it just gives me a lot of different options to go back into, you know, LinkedIn campaign manager and start building out audiences. So it's like, especially with some of these more um, technical job titles where I don't really know what they do. Or like, I've even gotten like, man, what is the difference between a manufacturing and a process engineer? Because they sound pretty similar. And so it kind of gives you like some of those things. Okay, so maybe in this instance, a process engineer is probably not the right person. We should go to manufacturing. But so it's been helping me do that, like just understanding like what the job title range is that I can use to help tar target for my clients better. Um, and then I've used it to help me within product marketing for positioning. 
right? So I'll figure out, like, have a conversation with the client and like, what are like the three or four unique things about your company or your product? So really trying to understand that. And then, okay, so if I'm trying to sell to this type of person with this type of feature, what is that real outcome that can be brought from using those unique differentiators? And it just helps me give language to some of those things. Cause Rose, like you said, right? Like a client will be able to explain it, but it's going to be three paragraphs, but it's like, I don't have that much space to explain this stuff. So how do I synthesize this long block of text into something into one line where I can just like, you know, I, in one snap of a finger, I have the line that really describes what I'm trying to do, you know, from three paragraphs. So it just helps me to like, yeah. And I use like brainstorming that way to like, just get me down to like really crisp, clear copy that makes sense to us on the creative side. And then to the audience when we start to deploy ads. So that's how I've been using on the strategic side and then just dabbling around with like, you know, LinkedIn posts and podcast stuff and video stuff. So it's been really good to just like use it as a tool to help brainstorm and research. Like, I've used it to like help me find sources for research material. Um, so it's been it's been a good tool for that. And yeah, like Rose, like you said earlier, it's just kind of fun to use, right? It's fun to have like a, something that you can just bounce ideas off of and ask questions to and have it give you something back. Yeah, yeah. It's fun hearing you talk about it, Brendan, because you're so energized by it. Uh, and I feel like I'm very, uh, speaking about it in a very dry and sterile way, but I in, inside, I feel the same way you yeah. do. Um, <laughs> you He's know, like if Brendan I- bot that will tell you how to speak more friendly. Yeah. <laughs> teach my algorithm how to sound like you. <laughs> um, if I were listening to this podcast, I think the something that we haven't talked about, and I think it's what feeds into the resistance against something like AI is how do you know you can freaking trust this thing? I mean, me listening to you say, okay, I just tell it to tell me what job titles to go after. And then I just do that. How do you know that that works. I mean, I have a I have an answer for what 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 I would say, but I think that's a natural part of that skepticism. For sure. Um, and you know, this kind of goes back to my background in military intelligence too. It's a lot of like trust and verify. Uh, so I'll ask it to do the thing, and then it's like, okay, now I need to go and actually like it gives me something to go back and research. Um, some of you might know, like I have a history podcast on the side of this, and like I'll use it as a tool to help me with research. It gives me the wrong information pretty frequently, uh, especially like historical facts, dates, you know. And so like, I'll usually like, I'll have my, my research material in front of me. Like I'll usually have like some history book that'll be going off of, but that thing's like 500 pages and I can't use that. Like, it's hard to like pull the information I need out of it. But so I'll, I'll ask it questions. I might, you know, feed in some information from like a Wikipedia or from like some other source on the internet and kind of go back and forth with it. But I'll always go back to the original source and verify, okay, that is the right date. This is the right amount of guns that this ship had, you know, like try to get those facts straight. And so I'll do the same thing on the marketing side. I'll, I'll have the thing, but then you have to go and put the human element into it and verify that the information is correct because it's not always going to give you correct information. It's true. It often gives you in, I mean, it's shocking and hilarious how often it gives me bad information. There have been so many times where, so I, one thing that I do not use chat GPT to do is I don't use it to write a story and I definitely won't use it to write something like a case study because it will literally just fabricate stuff. Even if you tell it, um, I mean, I've had so many exchanges with it where I will say, um, turn this description of the, this client describing this problem into, you know, a three-part paragraph story that I can embed into a case study. And it'll follow the arc of the story correctly, but it'll just completely fabricate quotes from the client. Yeah. <laughs> so you really have to check your source material. I mean, that's how you know you, that's how you know when and how you can trust it. You have to have your source material at hand. You can't just go in and ask it. Uh, from a content perspective, you know, what are just 
for examples, what are Caterpillar's industrial labels inside of their, I don't know, tractor things made out of? Like, that's not going to work. No. Uh, you have to, what what do you say? Trust, but verify. <laughs> yeah, there's the, there's the, the, the throughput through all of this is, it has you have to have a human element. Like, and I don't, maybe three years from now, I don't know. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts on that, but maybe three to five years from now, things will look really good. And like, you just give it a prompt and it kicks out very true things right now. That is not the case on any tool that I've really seen. It's gotten better over the last six months, but uh, yeah, you have to have some human element. Otherwise, like even, you know, you ask it for a LinkedIn post. If you just take that, or like Joe, you said, like, you know, if you just take the questions from the tool, you're going to sound like a robot because it says really weird things. <laughs> So you have to like rewrite it back into your voice sometimes uh, to get rid of some of the, the weird idiosyncras- idiosyncrasies that the, this, these tools have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are a lot of ways that you can take, use these tools to get the job started for you. And in some cases, maybe even get you 75% of the way there. Um, in other cases, 25% of the way there. But then you use your human skills and reasoning and judgment and uh, to get it to the finish line. Um that's kind of what I'm taking from this. Like if I conduct a podcast pre pre-call, like I've still conducted the pre-call, right? I've done the work to try to pull some of these insights out of the brain of my interviewee. I'm going to let the tool help me organize that information and start the questions. And then I'll take the questions to the finish line. So it's that one's probably still 75% me, but it's right. going to help me create a better product and take some of the grunt work out of my hands. And Rose, like you still talk to the subject matter expert. Like you still have the transcript, you have the background of, you know, you saw the facial expressions of that engineer. Like, yeah, you, you did the work to interview that person. And like, I did the work to do the discovery and positioning workshop, right. To like really dig into like, where's this client at? But then I just use a tool to help me form my thoughts. I wonder if on a high level, the problem that a lot of people have with AI is feeling like it's cutting out the work part of it. The part where you did the work, um, it, I mean, I said this during our pre-call yesterday. I love that. I, I It apparently is not a real quote, but I think it's such a hilarious anecdote uh, that when books were invented, Plato complained that the whole world would become dumber because all of a sudden humans were outsourcing information and they'd never need to remember anything anymore. And I'm sure, I mean, I know that there are people making the same argument about AI is that it it removes the, the necessity for critical thinking, which in a way is true, but it creates another level of complexity that you still have to grapple with. Uh, And I don't know, like, I don't have a, there are tools out there, Joe. I mean, use your queue is one of them. There are tools out there that will do interviews for you. Um, They're, they're freaking amazing. And if, uh, if that would eliminate some of like the tedious interviews that I have to do, great. You know, that just frees up my time to do something better later to put more creative energy into thinking about an entirely new product that chat GPT can't make some new form of a case study, some new form of an ad, um, some new concept that a computer can't invent for me. So I don't know. I just, I, all of the fear around it, I think is just so unnecessary and and it's really sad because it just hampers people from using a, a truly incredible tool. There's probably a lot of writers that got really anxious when the typewriter came out <laughs> or when a word processor came out. Right. And like, there's probably like, I don't know, you probably know better than me, but you know, going from handwriting to typewriting. Oh my God, that sounds really scary. Or now I got this computer with this word processor. I don't, I don't get a feel the writing anymore. So like, there's probably some of that. Like, what do you, what do you think about that? Like, is, 
Do you think I mean, some I of them that, that? I, Well, there's still like a huge, I mean, we have some of them at Gorilla. There's a huge group of writers that still don't like writing on keyboards. They want to do handwriting because they, because when you're writing on a keyboard, you're typing as fast as you can think, which doesn't necessarily give you the best output, especially if you're someone like me, that's, I self-interrupt all the time. Well, that doesn't make for very cohesive drafting. No. <laughs> um, there are other mediums to use. I I mean, I can tell you there are groups on uh, social media that I follow um, where when ChatGPT came out and publishing companies specifically started looking for content producers who understood how to use AI and would leverage it, there were a lot of people, a lot of writers who were very angry uh, and very afraid. And they wanted like big media to not use AI because it was going to put us all out of jobs. And I mean, I just think that is... A that was a big part of the writer strike, right? Oh, yeah. That's kind of a whole other issue. But yeah. Um, as far as like what we do in marketing, I, I say unleash the gates. I mean, I'm here for it. Well, we're coming up on time, y'all. Uh, what What do you guys have for some like last takeaways from both of you? I guess I would just say, kind of reemphasize what I've said earlier. Um, just go, go educate yourself. Just, just like learn, find some good resources. Marketing AI Institute's a good one. Um, and as opposed to just, you know, feeling overwhelmed, like find, find a good resource to start with and, and start learning, uh, learn a little bit more each week. And um, you'll, you'll be ahead of most people if you're doing that much. Um, I think my advice for writers would just be, if you are afraid of chat GPT, just, just get in there and use it. It's not going to hurt you. Um, I can still remember the very first question that I asked it. So I'd heard about it on a podcast and I thought it just sounded amazing. And the podcast example that I'd heard was somebody who was asking it to rewrite a story first in iambic pentameter and then um, in like the voice of a mobster. And it was hilarious. And it's just so funny to go in and see what it can do creatively. Uh, I was on the phone with a friend and I was telling her about this thing and I pulled it up on my computer and she said, can you ask it how to apologize to my husband without admitting fault? And it <laughs> gave a script for how to do it. And it was just so funny. So I think if you can find the play yeah. um, HPT and just see what kind of, a, you know, quote unquote partner it can be for a sounding board for your thoughts and ideas when you're in that early developing stage. Uh, of a story concept or a project or whatever as a creative, you know, that works in, in words. Um, I think that you'll just have so much fun. It's just fun. I think from my perspective to kind of uh, jump on what you just said, Rose, um, get in there, play around with it. But I, I think spending some time, you know, like there's the the old anecdote that's attributed to Lincoln, right? Where he would like help, like the chop down this forest fast. What would you do? Right. And he'd spend most of his time sharpening his ax. I think you need to spend some time and like learn how to do prompts and, you know, figure out like how to actually put good information in so you don't spin your wheels to, in getting a bunch of garbage out. So spend some time and, re and research and educate yourself on how to get do good prompting so you get good work out of it. And I think that'll make this process a lot smoother and more fun uh, as you dive into like specific use cases for for your business or, you know, your projects to to get these things done without it, uh, you know, being hair pulling. Yeah. When I hear people talk about the shortcomings of chat GPT, I think that they don't realize that you can continue, continue tailoring the conversation. Um, yeah. It's not just like a one, you know, a one way transaction. You can say, uh, okay, that was fine, but can you rephrase it in this way? Can you say it in fewer words, et cetera? Yeah. 
Well, cool. I appreciate both of you spending some time talking about, you know, this new technology that's on the verge of breaking things open for marketing. Um, to learn more, to talk to more marketers about AI, if you have questions, join us on, on our Slack channel. Um, you know, we have a Slack channel. I think there's like 250 people in there now. Uh, it's booming. Uh, so get in there and just have conversations with us. People are talking about, you know, work that they're doing, projects that they're working on, problems that they're having. Uh, and it's just a sounding board for, you know, us industrial marketers that are working on small teams. So uh, shoot me a DM and I'll get you access to that. It's industrial marketing live Slack. And like we've said multiple times here, join us on our live sessions. We have some really cool ones coming up for the rest of the year. Uh, so industrialmarketinglive.com to register for our live events. They happen the first and third Thursday of every month at 10 a.m. Central Time. So get in there and join us. Put your camera on, grab some coffee and hang out. We'll talk about marketing. Uh, it's just a place for, you know, like I said, small marketing teams to to have someone to uh, to learn from and, and, you know, upgrade your game without spending tens of thousands of dollars going to school or getting a course or whatever. So join us in there. It's a good time. Uh, and then... Last thing, uh, we have the Industrial Marketing Summit coming up. Uh, that's going to be in Austin, Texas. Joe, what is it? The January 31st through the 2nd? 31st to February 2nd. Yep. Yep. Perfect. So that's going to be done in Austin, Texas. Uh, speakers have been announced. If you go to industrialmarketingsummit.com, uh, it's going to be a good time. Uh, tickets are limited. Uh, there's only 300 seats available. I don't know how many have been sold, but I think they've been going pretty good. So uh, make sure you get there and, and get a ticket and join us down in Austin. Uh, warm yourself up in the, the Texas wintertime. So... Joan Rose again, thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you all next time. Thank you. Thanks, Brandon.